Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter 1, we were there last week, and we look at Zechariah today. We're going to look even further at things today. And uh, this last week I got online, and USA Today put out, um, it's probably a year or two ago, the top 10 Christmas songs of all time. So I want to see if anybody can guess the top, one of the top 10 Christmas songs of all time. Anybody want to take a guess on one? Matthew? No. I'll help you out. Of the top 10, there's not one Christian one in the top 10. So that will help you out, okay? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. No, the shiny nose didn't make it. Bridget. Jingle Bells isn't on there. And so White Christmas is number six. White Christmas is number six. And Frosty's not on there. Silver Bells isn't on there. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I don't know why anybody would want Jack Frost nipping at their nose. don't understand that. Back there, yes. Yes, Joanne. Grandma got ran over. Why would a grandma like you mention a song like that? A couple years ago, I got to see that cartoon for the first time. It's got to be one of the worst cartoons I've ever seen in my life. And so, Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you. Yeah, that's on there. That's number, that would be number three. And there's actually two versions of that that's on the top ten. Because there's a Kelly Clarkson that sang it too. So, but you got to remember, this is USA Today. So I'm not, we're not going high hopes here. So we got White Christmas, and all I want for Christmas is you twice. The number one, I'll give you the number one. Christmas time is here, the most wonderful time. That song, yeah, that's number one. I think that's not, yeah. Isn't that, the Christmas time is here. Yeah, I sang it a little wrong. So yeah, you got it there. Yeah, Charlie Brown. Yeah, so that's what I meant to do. So um, now number, number two is Last Christmas. Yeah, number three, the Christmas song, Merry Christmas to You, Nat King Cole. And then number four was Mariah Carey's one. Number seven, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. White Christmas was six. Um, number nine, What Christmas Means to Me, My Love by Stevie Wonder. And then number ten is Christmas Rapping. And I, not, that, not that type of rapping. I'm not sh- or anything like that. I'm not sure quite what that song is. So, but just remember... I don't expect the world to pick Christian Christmas songs, okay? That's what they said. But imagine, what I want you to imagine is imagine if that's all there was to Christmas. Jingle bells, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and you better watch out, you better not cry. You know, the little drummer boy didn't even make the top ten. I was shocked. Parumpa pum pum I was shocked he didn't make it. But imagine this morning if that's, if that's all Christmas was, if there wasn't a Savior, what this world, that's what this world sees. It's what this world misses out on. And so last week we looked at the praise of Zechariah given to the Lord. And I say it was probably the first Christmas hymn ever written. And then we have, today we look at Mary. So all that has taken place with Zechariah, we've seen that. And so today we look at Luke chapter number 1. I want you to look down with me. I'm an axe. That's not the right place to be. Luke chapter 1. Let me get there real quick. And we're going to start reading in verse 26, I believe. Luke 1, and go down to verse 26. And, it's, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God 
unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, some of the reasons why people don't believe that Jesus was born in December, the first month of the Jewish calendar was April, right? So six months from there, you could put probably October-ish time. And if you go nine months from there or 10 or anywhere in there, it doesn't add up to December. But that's just a little thought there. Does it matter? No. And if you're one of those that won't celebrate Christmas because it's, he wasn't born in December, Jesus came. He's the reason that we celebrate every day that we live. And just enjoy Jesus and what he's done in your life. It's okay. Enjoy him. If you don't want to have a tree, I got one here for you, okay? And, I've, and some people don't. Some people don't like I have someone every year. It's something different. It's either a tree or a nativity scene. Now, if you start worshiping that thing in the side room, I will take it down, all right? If you start worshiping it. But that, thing, that thing's been here a long time at the church here before I even got here a long time ago. But Christmas is about Jesus and what he's done for us. So in these days, you got to remember, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have phones they could text message. So Mary didn't know Elizabeth was expectant with a child. The angel tells her that here. Look at what it says. It says, in ver- it says in verse 27, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, do you see how every time someone sees an angel, they're troubled? You see that here it is saying? And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What is this angel talking about? And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I don't know if you've noticed yet, but virgin is mentioned twice between verse 27 and 20, well, yeah, 27. Then we see here at the end of it in verse 34, she says, How can I be pregnant when I've not known a man? The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is an important doctrine that you need to understand and believe. If Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, you would not have the Son of God. You would have someone just like us. Because when the way we are all born, we know how it works, and we, we get our bloodline from our fathers. So if Joseph was Jesus' dad, Jesus would have been a sinner. He must have been virgin born. And I know it doesn't make sense completely, and the things of God don't always make sense. And you say, how is it even possible? We'll read a verse that talks about how all things are possible with the Lord. Keep reading there. It says, and, the, and she says, how is this going to happen, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath, now, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Say, well, how did God do it? How could the Holy Ghost, for with God nothing shall be impossible? He can do whatever he wants to any way he pleases. He's God. And this is how he did it. And listen to Mary's response, which is an amazing response. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. 
You know, in our day today, it's not uncommon to see someone not married having a child. And our society accepts that today. Even 40 years was not so accepted in our culture. So imagine what it was like in that culture because it's sin and it's wrong. And Mary and Joseph are not married yet. The Bible is very clear. Before they're married, this takes place. So there can be no mistake about the whole thing. The Bible even talks about, back in the book of Isaiah, therefore a virgin shall conceive, right? And it's going to be a sign a virgin will conceive. That's the way God was going to do it. And as we look at these things together, and we see it together, God tells Mary, this is going to happen to you. She could have said, no, Lord, you made a mistake, not me. But what does she say? Yes, Lord, I'll do it. Can you imagine what that was like to explain to Joseph? Hey, I'm pregnant. And I'm sure Joseph's first question, it doesn't tell us in the Bible what they said. From who? The Holy Ghost. Yeah, right. Try that one today. The Holy Ghost did it. It took a woman of faith and a man of faith. And I love the fact we could go back to the book of Matthew and we could see the Bible tells us when, when Joseph heard these things, instead of acting right on it, time to think on it. And the, and the Lord came to him and told him it. He didn't rush to a decision. He took time to think. It would do us well before we come. Think. God gave you a brain for a reason. Use it. And if your brain isn't very good, have good counsel in your life with someone who has a good brain and get their brain and pick it a little bit to help you with what you need. So Mary finds this out, and what's the first thing that she does? She can't call Elizabeth. She's going to go see her. She didn't know these things, so she's going to go see Elizabeth. Now look at verse number 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah. She got there pretty quick. She didn't have a car. She got there herself. Different day than what we live. And entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary... When Mary's telling her what the angel said, listen to what happens here. The babe leaped in her womb. Now, was that baby born yet? Was John born yet? No, the baby was in the womb. What was John going to do? He was the forerunner for Jesus. You see, even in the womb, he was doing what his life was. And who tells you that life only comes after you're born? Whoever came up with that idea doesn't know what the Bible says and doesn't understand what true science is because at conception there's life this was a baby that's why abortion is so wrong in god's eyes and there's so much more i could say there but we wouldn't get to mary's praise and like someone told me earlier pastor you went long in the first service yes i did and so it's going to be long here too and so as we look at this we see that the babe leaps in her womb, and look what the Bible says. It says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord, and that's where some people get the mother of God for Mary. That's not what it's talking about right here. 
What Elizabeth is saying is that literally you are giving birth to the Son of God. I to be able to hear this and know this and experience this. And look at what it says here. And it says, and whence is this to me? And that the mother of my Lord should come to me. She was thankful that Mary, wow, what she got to hear and what God was doing in her life, what God was doing in Mary's life at this time. You remember 400 years of God really not doing a whole lot. No open vision in those days. And literally everything is changing and unfolding before their eyes. Speak out in praise to the Lord here. And look at what it says from there in verse number 44. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be performed of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Elizabeth says, because you believe God and what he said, you're blessed. And this is going to happen to you. And look at verse 46. We see Mary's praise to God. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. And he showed strength. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes that we have. We thank you for the blessings and the, all that you do in our lives. And help us today, as we look at this passage, that we could tie some things together and just give you praise. You are worthy of all praise. And help us to do, as Mary said in this passage, her soul magnified the Lord. And help us to magnify you and to lift you up and to praise you. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You look around spirit, spiritual people or Christians, whatever they want to call themselves, on any spectrum. And when it comes to Mary, there's a wide variety of things. It's just like everything else in the Christian life. I've made it clear that when it comes to our church, there are two, really, there are three types of churches out there. There are the churches that are full of the law, and that's the truth. They have the truth, and that's all they preach. But there's no grace in that truth. And that, you're missing something if all you do is preach the truth with no grace. The other problem on the other side is you have all grace and no truth. And there are a lot of churches out there today, you just listen to them very long, they know what the Bible says on things, and they're full of grace for people, but they don't have the truth of God. And see, what we need today as a church, we need to be full of grace and truth. Because our founder, Jesus, that's how he was. He was full of grace and truth. That's hard for people to distinguish because we are extremists in our own ways, most of the time polar opposite ways. Same thing with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You have some out there will roll on the floor, lift up their hands, speak an unknown language gibberish, and say that it's the gift of the Spirit of God. 
do believe things, there's, some, there's a balance to those things. And at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit of God, his job is to testify of Jesus. That's what the scriptures tell us. But then you have Christians on this end of it that will look at the Holy Spirit. And since that crowd's so wild about what they do, they don't ever want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he's the third part of the Godhead. He's important to know. There's a balance between rolling on the floor, foaming at the mouth, and speaking in tongues, and being filled with the Spirit of God. We need that. When it comes to Mary, there are polar opposites. There are those, especially in Catholicism, that raise Mary up to being a very special lady that has high favor with God, and they take some thoughts from this passage about her being the mother of God. And in all reality, if you want to get in good with Jesus, you need to go through his mom to get to him. That's one of the thoughts in Catholicism. But then on the opposite end, because people don't want to be associated with that, they'll look at Mary and discount her completely. So either you overestimate her or underestimate her. And there's no middle ground when it comes to Mary as well. Now, when we talk about this, I'll give you a few thoughts, and then we'll move into this praise from Mary. You'll notice that a lot of times those that overestimate Mary would be in Catholicism. And I'm going to give you a few thoughts that some popes in the past have said. Pope Pius IX said this, God has committed to Mary the treasure of all good things, in order that through her are obtained every hope, every grace, and all salvation. Pope Pius XII said this, It is the will of God that we should have nothing which hasn't passed through the hands of Mary. The Blessed Virgin Mary is called queen, not only on account of her divine motherhood, but also because by the will of God, she had a great part in the work of our salvation. She cooperated, cooperated our, in our redemption. You hear even in Catholic churches today, these thoughts about Mary of being a co-redeemer, mediator of all graces, and an advocate for the people of God. And I want you to understand something, that the Bible's very clear that that's not the case. Jerome, an early church father, said this, death through Eve, life through Mary. That was his saying right there. But I want you to understand the Bible's very clear. There's one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. It doesn't say, and his mother Mary. The Bible's very clear that there is one way, one truth, and one life. His name is Jesus. And no one gets to God except through Jesus. A couple times in Jesus' ministry, remember the time that Mary said, hey, they don't have any wine for the wedding. And what was Jesus' response? Woman, my hour has not yet come. Well, she's saying, I don't listen to you. I listen to God. He's the one. And then Mary's response to that was, how dare you talk to your mother like that? No. She said, hey, all of you servants, things, just do what he says. Just do what he says. In Luke chapter 11, there was a lady that said, blessed is the woman who gave birth to you, Jesus. Jesus said, no, blessed are those that read and obey my words. But you see words like highly favored and blessed among women, 
Do you know there was another woman mentioned in the Bible that was blessed above all women? That phrase is used. Her name is Jael. How many of you know who Jael is? So Jael is mentioned in the book of Judges. Jael took a tent stake and, took, and drove it through a king's head, Sisera's head. Drove the tent. He was sleeping. And how you can drive a tent stake through someone's head when they're sleeping, I don't know. But they sang her praises and said that she was above all women in Judges. So it says that Mary's blessed among women, but Jael above all women. So if we're going to look at that, you would have to look at that as well. Now, you cannot, you don't get in, there is that thought that you can get in good grace with God and Jesus by going through her mother. There's nowhere found in the Bible that you pray to Mary for anything or any other saints. You pray through Jesus to get to God. That's the way it works. So there's those that overestimate Mary, but then there's some that discount her and underestimate her. She was a clean vessel that God chose to use. And she was willing to suffer the humiliation and go through all that she went through to do what God wanted. I can't think of a better Christian example in the Bible outside of Jesus than his mother, his earthly mother. She was willing to go through all those things. And Joseph was a good man on top of that. Of all the people God could have chosen for this task, he picked Joseph and Mary. Which means... They are special people. And there's a lot of good we can learn. Not that we put any man up on a pedestal, only Jesus goes on the pedestal. But we need to make sure, and when we look at this, as we see Mary's prayer here, it's very clear what it says. You know, sometimes people will take that phrase, you look back in verse 28, and we're going to get to the meat of the message here in just a second. Verse 28 says, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. They look at that, and that's where some of those, uh, those prayers that are done in the Catholic, Hail Mary, full of grace, it comes from that passage right here. The literal Greek meaning of that, Hail, thou art highly favored, this is the literal Greek meaning. Grace, O graced one. That's the meaning. So what that means is, Gabriel here is not referring to Mary as one that bestows grace but instead was focusing on how much grace God had given her to do this task. Does that make sense? She didn't dispense grace, only God dispenses grace. She was given that grace from the Lord. Now as we look at our passage today, I want to break down her praise to God over the next few minutes. How's the temperature in here today? Is it warm, a little bit warm? Everyone good? You're good? All right. If you start falling asleep on me in here, we'll, we'll open up the doors and get cold air in here or something. And so um, look with me at verse number 46. Literally, as we get to verse 46, Elizabeth says, wow, it's amazing that this is happening to you. And who am I that I get to see the woman who's going to give birth to my Savior? And this is Mary's response. We see... Mary's praise involves basically three verses or three choruses to it. And the first one we see, first of all, number one, that Mary praises his person. She praises God. She praises his person. Look with me 
at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. You see, she doesn't start out when, Mary, when Elizabeth is like, Wow, this is amazing. Wow, yeah, look at all I get to do. No, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So as we see Mary praises person, letter A, the first thing that we see is she magnifies the Lord. This song has been known for years, and people will look at the song of Zechariah and Mary and things, and, we, and as we look at this, that magnify, that word there, she says, my soul magnifies. Mary's saying, and when we look at this here, the word magnifies it means to declare as great to enlarge or to increase in one's estimation. As Mary begins her praise, she looks to God and just magnifies him. And it would, you know, like you pick up a magnifying glass and it makes everything bigger. It would do us well in our lives when we look at God to take out a magnifying glass and view him for who he truly is. And that's why prayer is so important. And when we go to prayer, prayer just isn't a time for, woe is me, life is terrible. We have prayer meetings around here. And I would encourage you, Wednesday nights, 5.15, we have a prayer time. I would encourage you to come to prayer. And I know you say, life's busy, I'm busy with things. I would take my schedule and compare it to anyone in this room. And at 5.15, I'm here for prayer. Say, well, you're the pastor. I know, I kind of do need to be here. I would hope that if I wasn't the pastor, I would still be here. But when we come to prayer, and I've been a part of prayer meetings, and we have other prayer meetings at times, and it's like the whole atmosphere, woe is us, our life's, everything's bad, and let's take the Lord our problems, which we do take the Lord our problems. But when you come on a Wednesday night, we don't start out with woe is me. I don't even ask people how bad things are going in their life. Where do we start? We open up and confess to the Lord privately. We read a psalm, and then we magnify the Lord. When you magnify him, you get the magnifying glass off the problems in life. And when you see him for who he is, and you see what he's doing and how great he is, everything else seems a little bit better. I mentioned last week when I went and saw um, Barbara just after her husband had passed away, 65 years. Some, when you go see people after loved ones have passed, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to be in the hospital and see people you love and the suffering that they're going through. And Annette this last week lost her mom as well. And it's like two deaths in the church to our people in our church that are very dear to them. And it hurts our hearts as we help try to bear some of their burdens along the way. But it's not easy. And Barbara, what did she do? I'm at her house. She's there just lifting up Jesus. Most people don't get 65 years. The Lord gave five years. She's like, I could sit here all day long and, and woe is me, but I got 65 years. Most people don't even live to 65 years with my husband. And God blessed us, and God's been so good. Now, is every moment of her day going to be like that? No, it's not going to be. But what she was doing is she magnified the Lord. And I would encourage you where you're at in your life today to magnify him, to put him in his place where he belongs. And he's high, he's lifted up, he's greater than you could ever imagine. And the things of earth will grow strong dim in the light of his glory and his grace we magnify him and that's what we should be doing when we come to church psalm 34 talks about this and i this is a theme for our church oh magnify the lord with me and let us exalt his name together that's what we should be doing 
We should be singing. That's why we said, how great is our God? And I see some of you sitting there this morning as we were singing there, or standing, whatever the case may be. I saw you close your eyes, and as you're singing those words, you're thinking in your mind about how great God's been. You know what you're doing? You're magnifying Him. We need to do that. We need to put God in His place above all things. My soul does magnify. She praised His person. She began by magnifying the Lord, and then next, she rejoices in God, her Savior. Do you see that joy comes after you magnify? When you view the Lord for who He is, the joy comes after that. You look there in verse number 47. It says, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Literally, that word rejoice here means jump for joy or be exceedingly glad. Like the baby leaped in the womb, Mary was ready to jump for joy because of what the Lord is doing in her life. And you know why a lot of Christians are missing out on joy in the Christian life? Because you don't magnify Him. In thy presence is fullness of joy. These things that I've spoken unto you that your joy might remain in you, you have joy. And you know why we miss out on all the joy? Life's always tough. There's always going to be hard things that happen in life. But Paul penned these words, Rejoice in the Lord always. How can you rejoice in the Lord always? You've got to magnify Him and lift Him up. And when everything down here is getting bigger and bigger, you need to pull out that magnifying glass and just focus in. Wow, God. You're so much greater than what that person's doing to me. You're so much greater than this going on in my life. God, you're amazing. And then joy can come. She praises His person. She magnifies him and rejoices in God. Now, do you notice what else it says there? She rejoiced in God, her Savior. If Mary was so special and could save people and she's coached all these different things, she wouldn't need a Savior. Jesus didn't need a Savior. Jesus is God. He came to save us. So if Mary needs a Savior, then she's just like us. We all need a Savior in Jesus Christ. We see, number one, Mary praises his person. Number two, this morning, we see that Mary praises his attributes. Mary praises some of his attributes. Look with me there in verse 48. It says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And as we look at this here, we see that Mary not only praises his person and magnifies the Lord and rejoices in the God of her salvation, but then she looks at some of the things that he's doing and the things, some of his attributes. The first one we see and we think about the Lord is the fact that he's mindful of us. Look at verse 48. It says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. That word regard there means to be mindful of to look upon, to regard with affection, and to gaze at with favor. Mary says here, God saw, in that low estate's talking about the fact that she was not rich. She didn't have a lot of money. She was a poor young lady. You know, if Joseph and Mary had money, they would have had a place to sleep in Bethlehem. They didn't. And Mary looks up to the Lord as she magnifies him and rejoices in him. 
And then she stops to praise him for the fact he thinks about me. He regards me. He knows where I'm at. Do you know this morning, wherever you're at, God sees you where you're at? He sees what's going on in your life. He knows where you're at. He knows the struggles that you have, and he's there in the midst of it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, verse number 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. That word humble, as I mentioned, references the fact that she was young and poor. And maybe she was quoting this psalm, Psalm 136, verse 23, who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever. But she can't get over the fact that God was mindful to her and that God would let her, a sinner, give birth to the King of Kings. She marvels in the fact that the God of the universe, this God that is high and lifted up, would be mindful of her and let her give birth to a son that would change the world forever. It's what Psalm chapter 8 is about, right? You know, in Psalm 8 it says, what, David looks, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, and twice in that passage says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You see, Mary, she praises him for who he is and praises him and magnifies him and praises and rejoices in God her Savior. Says attributes and praises him for being mindful of her. And this morning, God knows where you are. God knows the struggles. God knows the heartaches. God knows the health problems. God knows all of those things this morning. And he's there. But not only do we see that he's mindful, but we see secondly, let her be, that he's mighty. Look at verse 49. It says, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And verse 51 says, He has showed strength with his arm. Do you see that right there? God is all-powerful, and she's making that known in her hymn of praise to God. You see, it literally says there, He hath done to me great things. The word great there means big and exceedingly great. Mary, and right before that, what does Mary say? All generations are going to call me blessed. Could have kept talking about herself, couldn't she? But she turned the message and she turned her praise from herself to the Lord, right? Do you see that right there? Instead of, and I'm so special and it's going to be so great and I'm awesome. No, He's mighty. He's the one who's done great things in my life. That's why as people praise you for things that you do, take the praise that you're given and give it right back to the Lord. That's what Mary does right here. Give the praise to God. He is worthy of that praise. God is mighty today. He's holy, as it says here, separate from sin and anything else. And Mary is turning all the attention away from herself, putting it back on him. Maybe Psalm 24, verse 8, she was thinking about, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And she lifts him up and praises him because he's mighty. Let her see as we continue on these attributes, we see the fact that he's merciful. Verse 50 says, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Verse 54 tells us there, In remembrance of his mercy. The word mercy refers to God's faithful love toward us who deserve punishment. 
If grace is getting what we don't deserve, then mercy is not getting what we do deserve. She looks to God, and after she, and as she realizes these things, and her cousin says, wow, God's going to use you, and he's going to bring the Savior into the world. Mary's response, she praises him and magnifies God in his person. She praises the, her God, her Savior. She says attributes and praises him for the fact that he's mindful of us, that he's mighty, and the fact that he's merciful. And then she takes the end of her song and praises him for how he works in our lives. Look at verse 52 through verse 55 with me. And we'll be closing out here before too long. It says, He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary moves from lifting, magnifying the Lord for his person and his attributes, and now she praises him for the way he works in people's lives. And I believe we see three things right here, the three types of people that God works through. First of all, it's a humble person. Verse 51 and 52, look at that again. It says, He has showed strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. God doesn't like pride. Because when you stand before a holy, righteous God, a mighty God, you see there is nothing in us that is anything like him. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, they're an abomination, and the very first one, a proud look. The Bible talks about how God resists the proud. Satan, Lucifer in heaven, what did he, what was really his sin? Pride. We see that in the scriptures. And as we look at the Bible, God always, God wants us to be humble, doesn't he? James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You don't need to worry about lifting yourself up. He will lift you up. Humble, and you think about, how did you get saved? You had to humble yourself to get saved, right? I'm not going down the right path. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. You had to humble yourself before an almighty God, and that's how salvation takes place. I never see someone come to God and say, Hey, God, you can, you can have me. Look at me. I'm great. You can have me. It doesn't work that way. You humble yourselves. The Bible talks about in Isaiah 66, verse number 2, For all those things had mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Do you, do you see what that's saying there? I've done all these things. You know the type of guy I'm looking for? Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my words. Literally what those words mean, he's looking for somebody who's humble. God always is there for the humble, isn't he? God hates pride. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? Look at all that I've done. And what's the next thing that he did? He was eating grass, and he was a wild animal, basically. 
And what was the closing words of Nebuchadnezzar's life? The king, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. He's able to bring them down. He's able to make them eat grass and act like a wild animal. And I'm living proof of that, is what he said. Think about how God worked in humble people. Think about David. The giant says, you're bringing this little boy out to me? He's going to die right here. This is the dumbest thing you could do. Don't you know who I am? And you know what David's response was? I know who you are. And I come here today with my slingshot, and it's going to kill you. That's not what he said. He said, I come in the name of the Lord. It's not about me. It's about the Lord, the one who you're defying. And he's going to give the victory. Humility. It's needed. So important. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, verse 34, Surely he, has scor- he that scoreth, surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Our world tends to focus on the opposite. But God gives mercy to the humble, and I think it's a good way to word it, the proud receive justice. Be very careful. I was listening to, uh, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it, was, uh, it, referred to, uh, it referred to someone that the president of the college that I went to was in college. And their thoughts were, he got thinking too much of himself. And I think it's pretty true. And what did God do? Let him spend 12 years in a jail cell. You will get abased. It's truth. You need to be humble before God. And you can have whatever thoughts you want on this next mouth, but you're not preaching, so just be careful. Our last president, pride, is his downfall. And each of us have our own downfalls. But listen to him speak today compared to how he speaks in 2016. His message is a lot different than what it was. And I believe pride is the problem. Pride. God works through humble people. Let's stay before the Lord. And Mary is amazed that God works through humble people and praising him for it. Not only that, not, not only the humble, but the hungry. Look at verse 53. Some of you are like, my stomach's growling right now. I'm glad God works for those that are hungry. Oh, look at what it says there, okay? Put it in context, okay? He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. I had a great sermon illustration of this one. So my, my son, my youngest one, Matthew, he's very good at eating junk food and things, but mealtime he doesn't do as well at times. So the other night I decided, um, with everything going on, we try to do have a family night, and I go on a date with my wife each week. We try to do those things. And so we're going to have, at home, we're going to have a movie night on Friday night, watch a couple Christmas movies and all that good stuff. So we went out to dinner. And uh, we got um, Vince's Spaghetti that night. And if you don't, Vince's is a good place. Some of you, I know, Jennifer, you got to get past the smell when you get in there. But when you get past the smell there, it's so good. It's, I, I could eat Vince's Spaghetti. So we're eating that. And Matthew did okay. He didn't finish his plate. 
when we got home for the movies, I got all these snacks. And so I got them all these things. And so he decided, first movie, I'm sitting on dad's lap. Second movie, I'm sitting by mom. So I got to have him in the first movie. So he got up from my lap like six times. Do you know what he kept doing? Going and getting the junk food that was over there and just keep downing it and downing it and downing it. He's very good at that. And some of you in this room, you're good at it too. There are times I get them snacks for school and they go in the garage. There's a spot that we have for snacks. And he loves those little goldfish crackers. He loves those. And how many of you like those goldfish crackers? Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. So, I, um, As a kid, I loved Cheez-Its, and I ate too many one time. So anything that tastes like a Cheez-It, I still to this day don't eat 32 years later. And still, I tried a while back just to have one just to get, and it just, yep, it's like, nope, not going there. But there, we, the package disappeared pretty quick. And there are times he would just go eat a package of them. And a lot of times right before dinner. You're not going to be hungry for dinner if you eat a bunch of junk or anything else before dinner, right? And so look at what the verse says there. It says um, in verse 53, He hath filled the hungry with things. Before you can get fed, you've got to be hungry, right? That word filled there has the idea of being satisfied. And the meaning of hungry here is not just the little rumble of the tummy. It's like being famished, super hungry, like Esau. Remember Esau? I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. He exaggerated a little bit. and Well, probably a lot bit there. But when we look at this, sometimes we're kind of like my son when it comes to spiritual things. We take in a bunch of junk from this world and eat it and have no room for the spiritual things. If you come to the Lord empty, he will fill you, right? That's what the Bible teaches us. If you come hungry, you're going to leave fed. That's what the Lord does. And he even, I love how the Lord did that spiritually and physically in his ministry. He did it both. I was, trying, I was talking to someone a while back, and we were talking about the rescue mission stuff, and they're like, stop serving food and just give them the gospel. I'm like, do you realize the homeless are not going to come if you don't give them food? But if they, if they don't have a sincere heart, and you have a sincere heart for everything you do too. I don't think so. But what did Jesus do? They're like, well, Jesus spoke hard things and everybody left him. But he fed them first. And then the ones who couldn't take it, they did leave. They still fed them. But the thing it comes down to is if you're already full, why, does the Lord, why do you need anything from the Lord? You can't work with someone who's already full. You got to, you know, it's... The other day, we get, if you go get a refill when you're, getting, when you're at a restaurant... They fill it up when it's empty. Unless it's coffee, right? And then they will top it off so it gets hot and things like that. I was so disappointed the other day. Got a cup of coffee somewhere and didn't realize they didn't have flavored creamer. What is the point in having coffee without flavored creamer? You can put half and half and stuff in there, but it still it tastes just like coffee. I got to have like French vanilla or something like that because I like my creamer more than I like my coffee. That's just the way I do it. I know that's blasphemous to some of you in this room, but that's just the truth. But we come to the Lord full. Remember what I talked about that Laodicean church? You're full, you're rich, you need nothing. When you don't realize you're blind and naked and destitute and need all these things. God works through the humble, through the hungry. And then thirdly and lastly today, the helpless. 
Look at what it says about Israel here. He hath, and we don't use this word at all today, and it's even hard to say. Hoping, that's just, and it's, and it's like holding on to. You can almost see kind of what it's talking about just by looking at the word, but we don't use that word today. And so it's like holding on for hope is the idea of the word here. And so look at what it says there. It says in verse number um, 54, He hath hoped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. We see the fact, we see the Lord helps, embraces. That word, that hope in there, it literally means take hold of, to embrace and hug, to support and help. And that's what the Lord does. Israel was helpless on their own. Think about where they were. There was no longer the glory days of Solomon or David. Herod was their king, right? And Caesar, their ultimate king. They were a mess. And the Lord remembered them and he came to support them and to help them. God is always on the side of the humble, the hurting, the hungry. It's why he cheers on the orphan and the widow. It's why he's for the preborn and the elderly, the poor, the disabled, the deaf, the blind, and the feeble. God cares for all those who cannot care for themselves. If Christmas could teach us anything, it's that when we're humble, God really works through us. We need to be humble. Mary looked to her God and magnified him and praised him for who he was. She praised him for regarding her and being mindful of her. She praised him for his mercy. She praised him for his might. And then she praised him works through the humble, through the hungry, and through the helpless. But what we see is the fact that she praised him. I would encourage us to take whatever's going on and turn our eyes to Jesus, look to him, magnify him, and praise him. How can you praise him in the midst of a storm? Isn't that what Job did? The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because his focus wasn't here. His focus was here. 